You are listening to It's Midnight Somewhere with DJs Mistress McCutcheon and The Wasteland. It's midnight somewhere. It's midnight. So we're starting off a new podcast. Uh, my name is DJ Mistress McCutcheon. I used to do a podcast called Cat vs. Bat. Uh, but since that has ended, we're starting a brand new podcast. I am working with my DJ partner, The Wasteland, who I also do the Prophecy Party with. Hey guys, this is The Wasteland. I was on Cat vs. Bat a couple of times, uh, two episodes to be exact, but one of them got cut into a third, which was called Thank You for Not Peeing on My Head. <laughs> so uh, I was on three for you, two for me. So what is It's Midnight Somewhere? Well, we thought this would be a good opportunity to take two ex-New Yorkers who live in Toronto to talk about music and to talk about various things within our scene for the darkly inclined. We don't necessarily always say goth because goth seems to be such a four-letter word, but it it isn't inaccurate in what we do and what we spin. Uh, you can listen to any of our mixes up on Mixcloud, where I am there as Mistress McCutcheon and the wasteland under the wasteland on Mixcloud as well. Yeah, yeah, pretty so, easy. Yeah, so we wanted to come together and start off our first episode talking about Desert Island albums. Now, first of all, I think we should define what that actually means. Yeah, so it was my idea, so I guess I'll, I'll give my definition first. For me, it's albums I would be happy to be left with for the rest of my life. Um, the, easy, the, the thing is, though, I didn't go with... The top line cuts, I think anybody can throw out the same four or five albums, especially ones that were like, um, what brought you into the scene, which for me is very much like uh, if I could have easily just been like, here's a skinny puppy and Nine Inch Nails and a ministry album that you've heard a million times before. And that's kind of boring to me. So I went a little deeper and I grabbed albums for me that are meaningful that whenever I put on, I almost always listen to front to back uh, without skipping around, which is something I am very prone to do. So these are albums that just grab my attention and hold me in for 45 minutes to an hour without wanting to skip a track. Yeah. And that was a really good point when we initially started discussing this topic, because for me, I felt like these are albums that are staples for me. They're solid. And you said albums that I can listen to from front to back without skipping. And I was like, oh, okay. In my head, I definitely know what those albums are. Where do we want to start off? Start with one of mine. It was my idea. You you ripped one of mine apart because we have very different musical tastes. We're, we came at it from very different angles. Well, let's start off with health. Okay. I really enjoyed listening to this album. And oh my God, it is so absolutely flawless because each song flows one into the other. And it's got such a great energy to it that I didn't realize how long I had been listening to the album because I just really got lost in it. Yeah, the album, I love that album. That album to me is super textured. It's a complete album. It's meant definitely to be listened to front to back in order. You could pull a song out here and there and say that's a good track, but it, the flow of it and the song topics pretty much from the very first track to the very last track they they keep it 
going. You know, there there's a story going on here. Um, and at points where there's angrier tracks and noisier tracks and lighter tracks that are just, they ease you into it too with the, the first track. The opening track is Victim, which is just vocals and a little bit of percussion and very easy. And then it just takes off. Yeah. Death Magic is really incredible. Uh, and yeah, this isn't normally music that I gravitate to, but as someone who really loves to dance, the beat to this, it's really solid, uh, front to back. I was really impressed with this album because I really hadn't listened to health before, but I know a lot of our friends and I know it's, it's a big album for you. So getting to sit down and spend some time with it was really great. The vocals really drew me in. I didn't realize that they were three guys in this band. I thought this was a female fronted band when I heard the the opening vocals and and it just really drew me in. It would be really hard for me to pick a single track to say, oh yes, this is a highlight for me because again, the album just flows really well together. But what would we want to drop in here, in your opinion? There's a couple of great tracks on there, but I really like um, Life. The, the song itself, like the chorus and everything, I, I really think it's it's it, it could speak to a lot of people if they've never heard it before, if they've heard it before. So I guess I should pick one of yours. So let's start with what you felt was going to be the most obvious and go with uh, Christian's Death, Only Theater of Pain. Yes. Um, now, uh, something everybody should know is my knowledge of 80s typical death rock and goth rock is shite. Uh, <laughs> I don't really know a lot of it. I came in from more of the you know 90s industrial boom and then went into more electronic music because I had listened in a lot of uh, trance and items like that. So I've never really gotten a lot of chance to go backwards. And whenever I've heard albums from them, it's always in a club where it's, it kind of sounds like nobody's really trying to mix the song or correct levels and it sounds like shit on a club system sometimes and then they're only playing like the same eight songs so uh you know i really enjoyed listening to this in my headphones where i could you know mess with the equalizers a little bit i you know it's an album i had never actually heard front to back before Oh, I'm glad that you could get a chance to listen to that album front to back because that was such a game changer for me when I had first heard that album. And it is by far my favorite Christian Death album because it was the first and it was just so solid. And yeah, as far as Death Rock goes, and the thing with Death Rock is it's such a funny term to me because... In the 90s, we referred to a lot of the music that we listened to as death rock. It was called death rock or death punk. Lots of things were described that way. The term goth wasn't used or gothic. So everything was death rock. And then all of a sudden there was this death rock revival and something like the Drop Dead Festival that came about in New York really brought up 
death rock and what the typical sound of death rock is and what that feel is because there is most certainly that that squeal of the guitar and that really like gritty filthy bass sound and the vocal styling there there are definitely these uh, tenants of what makes something death rock. Because nowadays you hear all these different newer bands and it's like, yes, you could define that as death rock. Not only that, but I, I did like a lot of punk too when I was a kid. So um, this this for me was reminiscent of some early Misfits recordings. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, it's in the same vein. And I think that's why I really got into this album. Like out of the, out of the three you sent me, it was probably my favorite. Um, okay. Absolutely, because I I like that that older punk sound. It's just again, there's so much music coming out when I was a teenager, and and you know me, I'm always looking forward, looking for news. So I don't my 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 weakness is in the ability to look back, and for that reason, I, this album just kind of slipped through the cracks on me. So yeah, I was happy you sent it over. It was it's probably the album I listened to the most out of ones you sent. Which song stood out the most for you? There was a couple, but, uh, you know, Theater of Pain was a great song. Um, Romeo's Distress had that great, like, bass line start that just, it pulled me in right away. Um, that you, you hear a lot in hardcore punk. Yeah. Which is, I, I listen to a fair bit of. Uh, and what else? Uh, Burnt Offerings was another one I really liked. Next up, let's talk about Dismantled Standard Issue. Okay, so I'm, I'm curious what you thought about that album, Unprompted. I wanted to ask you why this is a Desert Island album for you. So the interesting thing about this album was um, it, it kind of goes into the history of the band. Dismantled starts, he, he kind of wants to, Gary wants to be his favorite band, which was Frontline Assembly. Right. And he was on Metropolis Records. And this album comes out in 2005 when everything on Metropolis Records had a very distinct sound. Right. So if you listen to the lyrics, it sounds like a breakup album, right? Because he knows he's going to make this album and probably, if it doesn't sell, get dropped by his record label, which is why the last track on the album is called Thanks for Everything. I see. Okay. Right? So the album's kind of ironic. And the album, it's the whole album is kind of a dissertation of what was going on at that point in music within our subculture. The reason why this becomes a Desert Island album for me is it's a reminder. It's a reminder for what stagnancy can, will, and has done to our scene in the past if we let it. And it just destroys everything with boredom and people don't come out when they're bored. It's The whole album is kind of tearing apart everything that was at that time because it was all, everything was samey sounding. Yeah. I'm sure you remember this period. Oh, yeah. I'm sure anybody who was around remembers this period. And this is where we kind of have a lot of smaller scenes across North America, especially Collapse. Right? Yeah. 
They just went away because there wasn't enough people anymore. So I think the album speaks to me in the fact that this was somebody who was standing up for his ideals and was just like, fine, you want me to make that fucking record? I'm going to make that fucking record, but you're not going to be happy with it. This ties in perfectly with what I was thinking because I hated this album. <laughs> I fucking hated this album. I was like, oh my God, because it feels like an immature Nine Inch Nails album. And I was like, are these guys being sarcastic? Like, I don't get what's going on. Because looking into uh, Get It Through, just the, the lyrics are so ridiculous. Here's a beat. It is a solid beat and no one's paying attention. So I'm free to speak. And I'm like... What? Really? Because it didn't I, matter what anybody was saying at the time in the music because it didn't mean anything. It's like it didn't, it's very middle of the road what was going on in industrial of that, it's definitely of that period. Yeah. So for me, this was difficult to listen to because it it, it was exactly those things. It's very generic. And I, I was listening to this going, really? Why is this a Desert Island album? Because of what it means, because of what he was saying. If you read his other, if you read lyrics from his other albums, they're very, a lot more in depth. Like he would do eight minute songs about like wanting to kill himself and shit like that. Gotcha. Uh, like, like he was just really like all over the place and not, I wouldn't say all over the place, but he was closer to like what Frontline Assembly was trying to do at that period. Mm -hmm. They hadn't really morphed into what they are now. And they had just kind of, you know, early thousands were just starting to move away from guitar more and more. Yeah. Right. And that's what he was doing. He was good at it, but it wasn't selling in North America. And at the time, you had to have different distribution in North America and Europe. Probably still do. I don't know. Yep. I'm not in music. But he was on Dependent. Okay. Which was closing around this time. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then he was on Metropolis, which was like, well, we're all you got left. So, he, you know, that's why at the end, that last song, like I said, if, if, you're, if we're going to put on a minute of a track, that's the song I would pick. Okay. Because of what the chorus is, like if you pull it up, like it even starts out with this one's for myself. It's okay. probably the most yeah. interesting song on the album. Yeah. Because listening to this, I was just like, why, why? And when did this album come out? Like 2005, originally. Yeah, because everything around that time, I just remember A-pop uh, was popular, Covenant, Mentello and the Fixer, Yell Work, all these like bands that just, they start, everything started to sound the same. And it was super popular at the time, was getting a lot of play, and it got... It, it got really dull really quick. And that's that's kind of what he was trying to express by doing it. Because gotcha. that, that's what that was what they were giving him the money for. Let's put on that last track. For your next album I'd, I want to talk about, I want to go with The The. Yes! Uh, yeah, this this was probably the most surprising album because I didn't really feel like it fit at first. So the first track comes in, two things. One, I've never listened to The The. And 
I had a cousin who was very much into poppy music in the 80s. Okay. But um, it kind of makes me think again what I what my definition and perception of pop was. Because okay. I, I, my uncle got me into music and it started with metal. And I remember her collection, I was looking at it one day and she had the the and the cult and all that. And I'm like, hmm. His album starts out, and I'm expecting a little bit more poppy. And it's, uh, and if I recall, it starts with a track that has a bit of piano on it, and I wasn't ready for that. And then it kind of, it kind of builds up, and I'm like, okay, this is this is slower, this is different. And I had already listened to uh, Christian Death earlier the same day, so it was a, a bit of a gear shift. But then as the album uh, progresses and develops, it it becomes a lot more in depth, and then I see where it fits if that makes sense. Like it was, it was a very expressive and, and if, if you will, expansive in, in the scope of what it was trying to do musically. And and I really appreciated that because it was, again, another new album for me that I liked. I, and now I want to go out and get more, you know, I want to, I want to learn more of it. Just like Christian death, from what I understand, you, you kind of got to be careful. You got to know what you're doing. Otherwise you get to stumble into a terrible album. But with the, the, it's pretty much been the same band all the way throughout. If I'm mistaken, I probably am. Mostly. No, mostly it's, well, cause I mean, the, the is the, the product of, of Matt Johnson, the vocalist who I adore and I fucking love the the yeah the funny thing with the the is i think most people their choice as far as like which album do you really like from the the is going to be soul mining which has this is the day on it right this is the day was the big hit i mean it broke my heart one day when i saw it used in not one but two commercials because they used this is the day for an m&m's commercial at one point mm-hmm. and it was also used for a dockers ad and and based on that i was kind of like okay is this be another cure situation where some of the albums are really really you know part of the darker inclined scene and then some albums have friday i'm in love on it and just get played fucking everywhere right so uh, you know and that was my only real experience with them like i knew that song because it was on radio when i was a kid and or or a teenager or whatever and then it it was in commercials so i was just like it's just kind of one of those bands so i just kind of again didn't pay attention to something I probably should have. Well, because this is the day is not on this album, uh, but what is on this album? The the big single off of this one is "Gravitate to Me," mm-hmm. which is such a just sultry, awesome song. And then "Kingdom of Rain" is on this album, which has an uncredited uh, vocalist on it. Sinead O'Connor is on that particular track. I knew I was hearing another voice. Yes, um, I, w- I was listening on um, a streaming app. Okay. That, that doesn't need to be named. It was, you know, it was probably my favorite song on there because I like, I like again, the expansiveness and the texture in, you know, the duet going on there. Yeah, because originally the, the first track that was supposed to be the single was Armageddon Days Are Here. I really like that one, too. But it was too controversial. I can't remember the the reason why that wasn't the track. But uh, what I love about The The is that it is so political yet personal. The magical albums are the ones that have Johnny Marr on them, which Johnny Marr is on this album. So, uh, yeah, and I, I'm just a massive The The fan. When they came through Toronto and played, I, like, lost my mind because I was like, yes, we are fucking going. And I could have listened to Matt Johnson tell stories all night because I love his voice and I love I love the statement I love what they do 
Which song uh, should we put in here from Mind Bomb? Why don't we go with Armageddon Days Are Here? Because right. I feel like we're heading that way again. Touche. The world is on its elbows and knees. It's forgotten the message and worships the creeds. The world is on its elbows and knees. It's forgotten the message and worships the creeds. The Next album we're going to talk about. I think you're on my last one then. Is uh, Cat. Is Cat. Cat. Is it's, that how it's said? Yeah, well, it's it's uh, with the dashes yes. or slashes. It's supposed to stand for chaos and terror, but most people just refer to it as Cat. Okay. Which is a Ben Art project. I enjoyed this. It reminded me, it brought to mind a lot of Clock DVA. Yeah. Which I like Clock DVA. So I enjoyed listening to this album. Which, this was the one I was like, you're either really going to like it or really going to hate it. Because it's a little noisier than you your typical fare. It's, but it's got like that uh, IDM uh, influence in there. Okay. If, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because at this point, he was getting a little bored of doing the same thing over and over. Because he came from the power noise background. And he started playing around with more IDM feels and all that. Uh, and then um, he only did... This was one of his last releases, too. Before he went... Back to not really doing anything until very recently. And then he followed uh, my DJ page on Instagram. And I, I got to tell him this was one of my, this is what made me think of this whole topic is me telling uh, Ben Arp that this was one of my Desert Island albums and him feeling like it's like a deep catalog cut. Oh, amazing. Because um, for me, the whole album, again, flows song to song pretty much. It was, from yes. what I understand, when it came out or remember, it was a concept album. And it's just called The Great Crisis. So whatever you want to apply that to in your brain, what that concept is. But like the samples kind of guide you through a storyline. Yeah. So from The Great Crisis, let's drop in from the first track, Evidence 294. The last album that I brought up as one of my Desert Island albums comes from Alien Sex Fiend, and yeah. it's Curse. Okay, so this is my first experience with Alien Sex Fiend. That I know of, because I've probably heard it in a club. Second, I had to listen to this album three times before I got it. Okay. Third, I think I needed to be stoned for that whole second half of the album, because it just it started doing weird shit. But it was like... <laughs> It was like, I was like, you know, if I wasn't on my way to work, this would be a different experience. But I listen to music or podcasts on transit, mostly, you know, unless I'm trying to prepare for a gig. So I was, it took me a bit to get into this one. Uh, it was probably the hardest one for me to get into. But like, I listened to it again on the way over here today. 
just to make sure and just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And and I think it's also partly I had to be in the right mood to hear it. Sure. Because it's very much not just, a, oh, I'm just sitting around doing nothing. I want this for background noise. It's something you really have to pay attention to. And it's if I'm not me, if I'm not in the right mood for a particular type of sound, it's just not going to it's not going to catch. It's not going to click. Going back to it today, I'm glad I did because otherwise I was going to come down and be like, I did not like this at all. But today I was like, no, this is actually pretty good. What the fuck is wrong with me? Uh, (laughs) So it's just, it gets weird in the last half and now I feel like I need a bong Uh, (laughs) or like a whole sheet of acid. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I'm sure if you saw any of the videos and you see like a strobe light and Nick Fiend sitting in a room, I'm sure there's a lot of acid involved. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that was the time period too so i mean it was an interesting album it was it was not boring um it was but it felt very experimental and for me with like very experimental music if i'm not in that open mind you know listening to it the first time i tried to listen to it i was on my way to work and it was 6 30 in the morning and that was not a good decision (laughs) 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 so listening to it when i was coming over here and thinking about things and wanting to talk and wanting to be in more of a creative mindset it it definitely clicked better and this is an album i'm probably gonna have to listen to i think or or an artist i'm probably gonna have to listen to a couple more times to actually get it sure you know so uh, like at first I was kind of like, I don't know if they just got, uh, stoned and fucked around on whatever they were using, uh, for instruments and then recorded it. But it, it was kind of fun, kind of interesting. And, um, at times a little off-putting. Fair, fair. Near the end. Cause as a, as a teenager, this was my introduction to Alien Sex Fiend, which is why I adore this album. Um, I feel like. In the New York club scene, the song that was the go-to when Alien Sex Fiend was going to be played in a club was uh, Ignore the Machine. Or no, no, no. It wasn't Ignore the Machine. It was uh, I Walk the Line. Yep. Which I'm sure everybody's heard like a thousand times at this point. Occasionally, Ignore the Machine. Uh, Otherwise, the big quote-unquote hit was uh, Now I'm Feeling Zombified which that got played into the ground plenty of times through alternative resources. I remember because there is a video for it, the one with the Nick Fiend sitting in a room in a strobe light. Uh, that's the video for Now I'm Feeling Zombified. And, and yeah, that makes sense. But Curse was this really... It, it it was such a uh, it was such a, an oral trip for me to listen to because as a angsty teenager who did not go out to clubs until I was able to get into New York City and go to clubs regularly, I know there are several albums that I would listen to while like being a mopey angsty teenager writing horrible poetry in my room as you're wont to do when you're a goth teenager. Uh, this was one of the albums, as well as uh, Einster's and Neubauten's first album, as well as uh, Skinny Puppy's Viva Sex Six. Those were like pretty top, disturbing, strange albums for me to listen to as as a as a teenager, and um, I, I really like Alien Sex Fiend. I, there, it's it's so wonderfully weird and different and distinctive, uh, and now I'm feeling zombified is on this album, yep. and uh, you you kind of work your way through, and it just keeps getting stranger and stranger. But the song that I would drop in here is something that I've played out because I don't think anybody else plays it out, and it's called "I Think I." 
Yeah, yeah. That, Which I adore. That was also a standout track for me. Now I'm being zombified. Yeah, that definitely stood out. But um, yeah, I think I. Go yeah. for it. The one thing I will say is that even though Alien Sex Fiend makes my Desert Island list, they're the only concert I've ever walked out of. Because I remember hearing about one of their shows in the early 90s. It was either 93 or 94. They played The Limelight, and it was a, an incredible show. Mm-hmm. And people like lost their shit. Oh, oh my God, Alien Sex Fiend. They were really, really good. So I was really excited to go see them, and I went and saw them at Coney Island High. Okay. And it was awful. And not only was the show just really uneven and weird and crazy, someone set off a stink bomb in the toilets and the whole place stunk of sulfur. And it was just such a fucked up weird experience. And I was just like, all right, I think I'm out. Which sucked because I really like Alien Sex Fiend, but the show was not there for me. You hit the upper limit and was like, I'm done. Yeah, that was that for me. So we get to honorable mentions. Right. Now we had a rule on honorable mentions. Okay. No prints. <laughs> well, I don't think. We might have to explain that one. I think in approaching this podcast, we wanted to stick to scene related stuff in the Desert Island list Mm -hmm. because I mean sure there's a lot of influences and other music that we listen to that might not be appropriate for a goth podcast if we're staying old (laughs) goth but uh, both of us are massive Prince fans and it would just be like utter fucking blasphemy to not say yes Purple Rain is on my Desert Island same uh, album list. So, because that album is so important to me, I remember it as a kid when it first came out, and it still holds up to this day. And I fucking love Prince. So, you know, you're going to say anything about that. If I lose gospel points on that, whatever, but I fucking love Prince. So, that is definitely one of the honorable mentions that, you know, it's a given. We're both Prince fans. There you go. That's, yeah. I, and if for those who haven't been to Prophecy, every Prophecy party we close with Prince. That's right. Every every single one. So, so it's it's a thing. Um, it's always a question of who has who has a better idea of what song to close night with, and we never really plan that one ahead. It's just, hey, I thought this might be a good one this time. And we tried to. We I don't think we've repeated a, a Prince song either. We've done a couple. I think we played Raspberry Beret twice, but it's like it's one of his most recognizable and fun songs. It is. It is. So I mean, and again, for those who don't know, we've been doing Prophecy now for about four years. So Prince's catalog is that expansive that you can go four years of doing regular or semi-regular events, depending on the year for us, uh, and not really repeat. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But in regards to honorable mentions and talking about other albums that 
we would definitely include on our Desert Island list. One of the albums that came up was from Faith No More. Yep. For me, it's Faith No More's uh, Angel Dust. Um, It's one of my favorite albums ever. Uh, I got that as a cassette when it came out um, because I didn't own a CD player yet back in 92. Uh, And you can even, if you listen to that album, then you kind of get a lot of the seeds of where I am today musically. And I know I mentioned that to you before we were recording and you kind of nodded and said, yeah, yeah, I see that. It's an album I could listen to back to front. And it's it's also got weird stuff on there. Like there's a whole track where it's a dude talking to himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I didn't even look when I put it on and was giving it a listen. And it was a great revisit. Uh, and a, a, definitely a nostalgic trip for me to listen to that album again because it reminds me of a certain period because I was like, holy shit, I remember all the people that I hung out with the, during this period because, again, it's early. I was like, it's early 90s. When did this album come out? Oh, yeah, it was 92. And I think about the crowd that I was hanging out with and the mu- other music that was popular at the time because there was definitely a period because I never drove I was always uh, not victim to, but I always kind of was was the captive audience to, okay, well, if you're going to pick me up in your car and we're going to go somewhere, then uh, I'm going to be listening to whatever you're listening to. And I remember between that and where I worked, because as a, as a teenager, I was working in a pizza parlor on the Jersey Shore, and there was a lot of grunge at the time. Um whoever was the dishwasher had control over the radio. So it was a coveted job to have because then there was a lot of like Pearl Jam and Live and Temple of the Dog and Soundgarden. And then I know a a bunch of other people that are hanging out with and and friends of ours were listening to like Pantera and Helmet and then Faith No More. And Faith No More was just such a standout because it wasn't just – straight up metal and I'm not a metal fan but it's it's not straight up metal it's got this funkiness to it and Mike Patton is a fucking talented motherfucker he's amazing I mean the fact that my favorite Bjork album is Medulla which is an all vocal led album if you haven't listened to it you need to sit down and listen to that album front to back because there is no instruments on it it is all vocal and at one point there's some beatboxing and there's this voice and I'm like And I look at the credits and go, holy shit, it's Mike Patton on this album. This Mm -hmm. is amazing. And it's just – and then Mr. Bungle and and other work that he's done, it's very, very cool. And it definitely brought me back to a place listening to Angel Dust. Because I remember when Epic came out and that was on uh, regular rotation (laughs) on MTV and people freaking out about the fish flopping around in the video and all that stuff. And like it it was definitely something very special because it was very distinctive. So Angel's Lost is a really fun album. Cool. So you didn't send me a Desert Island pick. So as far as honorable mentions, it's really. Sorry. As far as honorable mentions for me, there's there's so many other albums that I'm like, what are things that are so essential to me? And if I think about it, I, I think of The Cure because they are they've been my favorite band of all time for about a million years. And my favorite Cure album is Pornography, which is their darkest album. 
and it's got so many tracks on it. It's just, it's really heavy. It's really dark, but it's it's an album that you can listen to front to back that'll just stick with you from Hanging Garden was the single that there's a video for, but then there's Siamese Twins, there's A Strange Day. There's so many good songs on that album that I really, really love it. But I would also feel somewhat blasphemous if I didn't mention David Bowie because and I, I think maybe this also makes makes a lot of sense and probably is typical for a goth, but my favorite, most staple, like, David Bowie album is probably Low. Okay. Which, again, is part of the quote-unquote Berlin trilogy and uh, came out around the time that The Man Who Fell to Earth came out. And uh, it's such a more experimental album. Right. But it's also it's got a darker feel to it and it's it's a really good album. Oh, I mean, David Bowie needs to be mentioned, I think, in whenever you're having a talk about especially where a lot of stuff comes from, because if he doesn't push the boundaries he did when he did, we might not be here today talking about where we are right now. Well without in a lot of ways. Without Bowie, we wouldn't have had Bauhaus. Without Bowie, we wouldn't have had a lot of things. Right. And so. I can see where a lot of goth and goth rock and Batcave music came out of glam. Yep. So, and then David Bowie has had such a varied career from all the stuff that started before David Bowie was really David Bowie. And uh, through Ziggy Stardust, through the 80s, where it was super poppy and it was Let's Dance and all that kind of stuff and Serious Moonlight and, and all that. Because um, there was the Serious Moonlight tour and there was a, a there was a uh, era of, of Bowie all the way through <laughs> to like the Outside album where he was touring with, with Nine, Inch Nine Inch Nails and, and you can hear the Trent Reznor influence in there. And then the album before that, I think, was Earthling, right? Which was like. Drum and bass bass. Yeah, there was almost. a drum and bass album like called random. Earthling. And that's yeah. when I got a chance to actually see Bowie. Yeah. Because he was playing the Roseland and I was like, oh, we're going to go see Bowie. Wow. And yeah, so I'm really glad that I got a, That is the one thing I'm so happy I have seen David Bowie perform because fuck, man, he was a performer. I just regret not seeing Prince. I never got to see either of them. And those are uniquely the only two artists that have ever died that I actually shed a tear for. Yeah, yeah. Although there's, th- th- this is a whole other topic, but then there's all the the concerts that it's like, well, shit, who did we miss? That yep. So if you have a chance, it, it just goes to show that if you have a chance to see a band and it feels like everyone this year is touring. Yep. Because there are so many tours coming through and there are so many expensive ticket prices. So it's going to be really hard to vote for your do- with your dollars as far as what shows you can get to and blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad I've got my deck and dance tickets. I hope Bauhaus comes around because I'd certainly love to see them. And I could finally, finally, for the first time, have Faith No More tickets. Yeah. And I'm playing with helmets since you mentioned them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm I'm just hoping New Model Army came out with a new album last August. And I really hope they play in Toronto because I would love if you haven't seen New Model Army uh play live, Justin Sullivan, the singer, mm-hmm. is a fucking force. You feel like he is just screaming at you. Cool. Like he is directly at you 
And he's an amazing performer as well. New Model Army is just, again, it's one of those really strong statement kind of bands that you need to have in your your repertoire, in my opinion. Excellent. So I guess we should probably start wrapping up. Yeah, because we're looking forward in creating this new podcast to be talking to various bands, talk to other folks in different scenes and see what's going on. Because it's funny when... It's funny when you if you take things for granted in your own city and then you visit another city and you kind of can compare and contrast because even though things are different, they're kind of the same. Yep. And uh, I think the goth scene is in a really interesting place right now because this scene is so cyclical. Yeah. And, and we're, we're we're starting to upswing, I think, we're a little in an bit. Upswing, yeah. Because I think there's some interesting stuff coming on. Anybody who says that there's no good new music coming out needs to be uh, needs to be slapped upside the head. I think put out to pasture, maybe. Yeah, because because that's all lies. There's yeah, some great there's stuff. So happening much stuff right out now. there. There's so so much stuff. Any anything new you want to call out that people should listen to? As far as new music coming out, the new Xanius is going to be out and available on Bandcamp, and the first track is just floating around right now, and that album is available for pre-order. What is the name of that track? The album is called Extinction, and the track name is Ending. It's the third track. It's available to listen to before you pre-order. It's being put out by Fleisch Records out in Berlin, which is interesting because apparently it says in the write-up that uh, she's their label curator now. Oh. So this is her first release with them. So it's a little bit different than her full length she just did. Um, but it's it's still really good. I, I, I was like, oh my God, and that's why I, I ordered the vinyl. I have found that anything that woman Allison does between Xanius, Kelowar, and Linnea Aspera, they're so good. They're so solid that if you haven't heard any of that stuff yet, get on it. Go catch up and then check out the the new album and, and you can pre-order that now. And for me, I would I would recommend that people go check out the new Amelia Arsenic of uh previously of um Angel Spit. Oh, okay. Previously of Angel Spit. Yeah, she has a couple of solo EPs, but this one is, it's actually kind of similar to the Zanius in sound. Um, okay. And she does her own fashion line and everything. She's another really creative woman doing new and exciting things out there. So go give that a listen. I've been listening to it nonstop for like the last couple of days. It only came out on uh, February 19th. Oh, shit. Okay. So it's still new. It's still yeah. very new. Very new. We, we like very new because uh, there's so much of it coming out that uh, it's hard to keep track of everything. But hopefully that's why you listen to podcasts and, and you want to get on the music train and, and hear some new good stuff in addition to some old obscure bits that maybe you didn't know about or maybe some things that you want to go and revisit. So on that note, let's wrap it up. I want to give a big thank you to Robin Bright of Cockatoo who wrote our intro music. If you are unfamiliar with Cockatoo, they are a Toronto-based band, and you can go listen to them on Bandcamp. There are several albums that are available. And also a big thank you to Marion Green, who is an amazing artist, also based here in Toronto, who designed our logo and our visuals for It's Midnight Somewhere. And thank you to Justin Minister for doing our production and editing. I don't know where we'd be without you. So if, if you have any questions, comments any of that stuff please like subscribe and share and drop us an email we're at it's midnight somewhere podcast at gmail.com and until next time it's midnight.